0: My son Andrew recently... Uh, got really excited around buying uh, uh, something new. It was, um, it was like a, a tech thing. It was actually a phone. He's wanted to buy. He wanted to buy this phone. Now some of you might be thinking that uh, he, you know, he doesn't have a phone. He's 14. Some people get phones in grade 6. And some of you might be thinking he shouldn't have a phone until he's 18. I don't know. There's probably different kind of varieties in there. But he's been looking for that. So he saw this one he really wanted and, and uh, brand new. It's like quite expensive when you look at it online or in the stores. It's really expensive. So we said, hey Andrew, why don't you Wait it out, research a bit, see if you can find it used... And see, what's was out there. But of course, like anybody, not just high school students, but even all of us, we just want it now, right? We would love to get it right away. We would love to buy it right away. We don't need to wait. But we said, hey, why not just wait it out? Let's see if we can figure this out and go through a different kind of process instead of just buying it new. And we said, let's try it. So he did. He kind of said, hey, you know what? I'll try it. I'll try and go your route and not my route. And so we, we waited it out. We researched online. A couple of used ones came up, and we landed on one that was looked like a really, really good option. It was hard to know if it's legit, because sometimes when you see a great price on online, Virage seller Kajiji you wonder, right? They actually tell you when you buy a phone, uh, you know, kind of check this, this, and that. So we found the phone, and I think we probably paid it 70% less than you would have bought it, like, at a store, right? And so then Andrew, at the end of it, said, I loved how this came together. I, was, I loved how this came together, because saved money." Found it in, in a way that was unexpected, and it actually worked. But on the front end, it was, oh, I, don't, I, want, I just want it now, right? And that's kind of like what all of us like to do. And, and this is what I was thinking about this when he, he attempted this and kind of went, went with it with us. There's discovery in, and it's going to be up here, in the doing. There's discovery in the doing. At times, we feel like it's only possible this way, but when we try it another way, We discover something brand new that it's, we actually discover when we try. We discover when we do something. And I want us to think about that image. There's discovery in the doing in, in how we're going to talk today, finishing our series on peace. We've been in a series on peace for three weeks, and it's been a series that's been uh, pushing us to be active towards peace, to be peacemakers, uh, to, be, to pursue, as Jesus said last week from Luke 19, if you just would understand the things that make for peace or the way of peace, the life of peace. And there's something about walking that way that must be tried. You know, I think when we think about how God often sends us a message He invites us, we read through the scriptures, he invites us to live a different life. In in essence, God is saying, try it this way. Try life this way. You'll discover what you're really looking for, but you need to live it. But often we, we might ignore that. We might ignore that because we might believe in God, but often don't believe in the things he actually teaches us. We might say it this, way, yeah, we believe God exists. We believe God is real. We believe I can, we can have a relationship with him. We believe in his son, Jesus. We believe that he came. We believe that he offers us eternal life, that he forgives our sins. But here's a big question. Do we believe his ideas? Do we believe his ideas? We believe in him, but do we believe his ideas? We believe in him and what he offers us in terms of eternal life? Do we believe in the life he invites us to live right now? And so today as we talk about peace and as we bring this series to a close, I want to challenge us and encourage us at the same time to not just believe in Jesus or trust Jesus, but actually to believe that his ideas make sense, that his ideas work. There's, and I'll I'll put up another phrase, instead of discovery in the doing, there's peace in the practice. And if there's one phrase we can just remember today, it's this phrase, there's peace in the practice. Last week, we looked at a text where Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem, weeps over the people of Israel, because they did not pursue the things that make for peace. And he, he longed for them to live a different way, to pursue God's kingdom in a different way. And we looked at how that affects the world and how often we, we want to pursue winning or peace in ways that often don't reflect the ways of Jesus. And we looked at it more globally last week. Today I want to get into it in a personal way and really ask this question, like, how would Jesus have you and I seek peace? How would you and I, you, Jesus want us to seek the things that make for peace? What does that look like every day? What does that look like in our relationships? What does that look like with people we disagree with? What does that look like with, uh, with our neighbors, with those we like, with those we don't like? And um, here's a passage. It's Matthew chapter 5. And it's uh, found in the context of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 48. If you've got your Bibles, turn to them. It's going to be on the screen as well. And we'll read these words. And this is Jesus' teachings. And let's read them together. Let's see if they challenge us in things that make for peace. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we pause. And um, we invite you. Lord, I know many of us here believe in you. And maybe many are searching here to believe in you. Um, God, the challenge today is do we believe in your ideas? Do we believe in the life you call us to? And um, So you just pray that your spirit would would speak to us, um, grab our hearts, um, help us to pay attention. And if there's things in this text that are personal for us specifically, God, would you point them out to us? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I mean, I think if there's a text where Jesus gets practical in peacemaking, he doesn't say peace here. But if it, there's a text that gets practical, I think it's this one. Because if you go back to verses 1 to 8 in chapter 5, Jesus actually starts this Sermon on the Mount with which what is called the Beatitudes. They're, they're these phrases of blessing or what it means to be live a blessed life. Or in some versions it says happy, a happy life. And he says things that are countercultural. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says later in verse 7 or 8, blessed are the peacemakers. He even says blessed are those who are persecuted. That's countercultural. But Jesus says there's something about that kind of life, to pursue meekness, to be poor in spirit, to be a peacemaker, to to know that you will be persecuted. There's a blessing there that you don't understand unless you believe not just in Jesus but the ideas of Jesus. And so when we read verse 38 to 48, that's kind of fleshing out verse 1 to 8. As we read through the Sermon on the Mount, especially these verses here, it's fleshing out how do you pursue this life of being blessed as a peacemaker, being blessed as one who is persecuted, being blessed as one who's meek. And so it's, it fleshes that out in verses 38 to 48. Think of peace for a second. I mean, how many people generally think of peace this, with this sign, keep calm and carry on? That's kind of like the cultural model for peace which really makes sense in a, only a few situations when it's really bad traffic and you're fed up of it and you're like keep calm and carry on right it's like it's this mantra that way when when you're in the grocery line and it's really busy like this time of year and there's like 10 people in front of you and there's maybe there's someone in the front maybe it's an older lady and she starts pulling out her coupons and then she, she, she doesn't have a, an ATM card. She pays cash and she wants to count. Every, and you're like 10 people behind and there's so much groceries. You're like, keep calm and carry on, right? Maybe it's a crying baby that is upset or uh, nervous and difficult. And you're just like, keep calm and carry on. Often we see those posts on Facebook. My baby's going nuts in the mall. Help me. Help um, me. But Jesus hits us with serious examples in, not that the other ones aren't as serious, but, but Jesus hits us with serious examples when the rubber meets the road with peace. It's not about finding peace on your commute to work, although Jesus can calm our hearts even in those situations. It's not about finding a Zen moment in your backyard and saying, I'm going to keep calm. But it's, it's seeking peace in situations that have the power to rob you of peace and have the power to challenge your pursuit of peace, your seeking of peace, your life of peace. Jesus includes three different scenarios that are not just the ordinary in traffic scenario. He talks about scenarios when you're insulted. He talks about a scenario when you're persecuted, when you're oppressed. He speaks about your enemies. So these are situations that are beyond just being able to kind of say a mantra or a few words to kind of keep peaceful. When you're insulted, when you're persecuted, when you're oppressed. And Jesus says in this, he does it all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but he says it in verse 38 and then in verse 43. He begins to teach and he says, You've heard this said, but now I want to tell you this. In other words, this is how you've understood life, but let me really teach you my ideas. Let me bring this to progression. Let me bring this to a climax of what it means to live this kind of life that I'm proclaiming about God's kingdom. So Jesus moves us to a new kind of living in the Sermon on the Mount. And especially in these couple of passages. This new kind of living. The first transition he makes from, you've heard it said, to this in verse 38 is this. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. It's an Old Testament quote. But now I tell you, something different don't resist the evil person or don't use violence to resist the evil person so it used to be said an eye for an eye but now i'm saying don't resist an evil person now think about this for a second this is like progressive justice the world's idea of justice has has often meant vengeance has often meant you do this to me and i'm going to do this to you and even worse when, when the Old Testament introduced an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, it was to, to stop the world's justice system. Because someone would break your leg and you'd break both of his legs. Someone would crack your arm and you'd crack both of their arms. Someone would kill one of your children and you'd kill their whole family. So an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was progress from the world's justice system to what God began to introduce in the Old Testament with this phrase, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So it would stop the escalating hate. It would stop the escalation. At least it would be equal. And people would respond even worse than they were hurt or abused. Then in the New Testament, Jesus continues to bring this to fulfillment, this, this progression of justice. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's not the world system, but this is at least equal. But here, let me tell you this. Don't resist the evil person, or don't use violence to resist evil. Jesus' kind of justice is one that shows the exuberant love and grace of God that will surprise people. Because it's not, I'm going to hurt you worse than you hurt me. It's not, I'm going to hurt you as much as you've hurt me. It's, I'm going to respond to you in a completely different way so we can pursue peace. So there are these signs of peace that to react and behave in such a way that Jesus leads us to is to surprise people with God's grace and his love. Which is a path towards peace. The first incident he talks about being insulted when someone uh, with their right hand would slap you across the cheek. In that time period, it was probably the back of the hand where someone would hit you. That was an insult. Jesus gives this example and he says, if that happens to you, turn the other cheek. Because what Jesus is saying is, If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek and say, now if you want to hit me, hit me as an equal, but not as an inferior. Stop them in their tracks. Help them, show them exactly what they're doing. They're feeling superior to you. Jesus says, you want to hit me, hit me again, but now hit me as an equal. And Jesus changes the game. In other words, Jesus says, when that happens to you, respond to them in such a way where they will know they are not crushing your identity. They are not crushing who you are. And you respond in a different way. You resist in a different way. The next one is oppression. Or when, when, when you're sued in a court of law and it says, if you're, if you're sued and someone steals your shirt, Jesus says, give them your cloak as well. And in that time of the first century, the people only had two sets of clothing. So you do the math, right? You've already given your shirt and then your second set of clothing. What are you left with in front of those people? You're left naked, right? Jesus is essentially saying, when you respond to them, how you resist them, you know what? Give them your cloak and stand in front of the court of law, in front of them, completely naked. And you're going to freak them out. You're going to shame them. You're going to say, this is what you are doing to me. When 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 you steal my shirt from me, when you sue me unjustly, you know what you're doing? You're shaming me completely. You know what? Take it all, and I'll show you what that shame looks like. That's resisting, in a way, that pursues peace, that shows people a different way. It's physically showing them how unjust they are. In persecution, when Jesus says, you know, uh, someone asks you to walk a mile, walk an extra mile. That was, could have been uh, a Roman guard that would often just see people on the road and they have some t- a mile to walk and they say, here, take my uniform, take my guard, take my armor and walk with me. You're forced to do it. Jesus says, if you're asked to do that, um, Don't just stop at the mile. Tell them, you know what? You forced me to walk this mile. I'm going to walk the next mile for free. I'm going to respond to you in such a way that will surprise you. You are no longer forcing me to walk the second mile. But instead, I'm going to bless you with the second mile. And that's how you resist them. You show them what it means to truly be human and truly be generous in such a way that it outs who they are and it outs their heart, and it outs their heart and their, their mind and their worldview. He's saying, be resistant without being violent. These are only examples. They're not, I don't believe they're meant to be exhaustive or they're meant to be completely literal. And, 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 I, and I, I believe they're meant to show us that w- there's peace in the practice, that there's a way to pursue peace, to seek peace, that is different than the world. When Jesus says don't resist evil, don't let it escalate to hate. In other words, resist in such a way that you are not resisting in the same way that they have come against you. Resist, but not with violence. Resist, but not with, in an equal way. Resist in, with similar force, but not similar action. With similar force, but not similar motivation. With strength, but not with aggression. To respond in a way that demonstrates a new way of living. Last week we talked about this more in a global sense. But this makes sense in a personal way. I was drawn by Martin Luther King's quote. in what it means to pursue peace. And what it means to respond. And he says this. Through violence you may murder a murderer. But you can't murder murder. Through violence you may murder a liar. But you can't establish truth. Through violence, you may murder a hater, but you can't murder hate through violence. Darkness cannot put out darkness. Only light can do that. There's, there's, Jesus invites us to a different way of living, a different way to pursue peace. So we have this first progression. You know, you've heard it said this way, and now let me tell you this. Jesus does this again in verse 44 or 43. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But now I tell you and this is really tough, right? love your enemy. You've heard it said, "Love your neighbor." that sounds okay. Even that's hard for some of us. And hate your enemy, but now Jesus says, let me tell you, love your enemy. To hate your enemy is normal, right? To hate someone who's hurting you or oppressing you or wants ill uh, motives to, to, for, for, for your you know your bad is is normal to hate them. To hate those who hurt you is normal. But there's peace in the practice. And there's something beyond that Jesus calls us to. And he invites us to think differently. There was a popular book out a few years ago called um, Eat, Pray, Love. And um, maybe you're familiar with it. I didn't personally read it or watch the movie, but many have and liked it. Yeah, some people have. And so, so I love the words eat, pray, and love. Basically, it's about a, a woman who I think traveled through Italy or Europe and discovered all these beautiful things. And it was a really amazing experience, and it taught her much about life. And I like those words, but I, I want to I flip the words into what Jesus teaches us in this passage and not eat, pray, love, but I want to think about how we pursue peace. How is peace in the practice? And Jesus, I think, would have these words for us love, pray, eat. Love, pray, eat. It's a great title for a movie. I think we should, we should write the script. Love, Pray, Eat. Jesus says, Love your enemies. Not just your neighbors. Love your enemies. In other words, Jesus showed us how to respond differently. This is the basis of what it means to pursue peace, to practice peace. The basis of it is love. To love your enemies. Now, this is difficult because I think the question is, who is my enemy? Who is my enemy? Like with all the things going on in the world, of course, someone might say, ISIS is my enemy, or this is my enemy, or this big issue is my enemy, or corporate whatever is my enemy, you know? And, and it's interesting. It, it, it seems like um, these are, you know, they're real enemies. Sometimes there's real enemies. Sometimes there's perceived enemies, I think that there's a sense of perceived enemies because we often need an enemy. I mean, Pepsi needs Coke. Coke needs Pepsi, right? It's true. McDonald's needs Burger King and Burger King, need, they need an enemy to fight against so one of them will win. And I think that kind of comes up in our hearts too that, that through life we're often looking for them. In fact, I remember leadership books 10 or 15 years ago would say you need to know who you're trying to beat if you're going to win, and so it riles that up in our heart that we need an enemy to win because we need someone to beat. And I think sometimes there's perceived enemies that, that we have. And I think, I think 95% of our enemies are perceived. 5% are probably very real, and we could, we could list them. But some of them are perceived when uh, something puts a wedge in a relationship and distrust starts to happen and faith is lost between one person and another, whether it's a friend or a spouse. It's, it's very possible that over time, you start to see that person as an enemy. They might not want to kill you or hurt you or destroy you, but there's something that has happened that you begin to see them as an enemy. At times, we walk through life, and because something goes on between us and someone or us and a circumstance or us and a group of people, at times we can have a perceived view, a perceived enemy. That happens sometimes in churches where someone, you know, the church maybe uh, goes in a certain way there's a decision made or something and maybe someone's of the opposite opinion. And all of a sudden it's no longer, let's discuss this, let's pray about this. Hey, maybe there's, a different, there's different views within the body of Christ. Oh, at times it becomes like an enemy. Oh, we, we, have to, we have to bring them down if we're going to move forward with this. I think that's possibly perceived enemy. So to understand, is there perceived enemies? And then is there real enemies? And I think Jesus probably means both. Your perceived enemy, because as you begin to love them, you can start to recognize, maybe they're not my enemy. But then there's the real enemies that really do want to hurt you. And I think Jesus' words really rub against us here to challenge us to love those who hate us, to love those who want to hurt us, to love those who want wrong or ill for us. There's an example um, of maybe more of a perceived enemy, but how many of you guys know that, that fast food chain in the States, uh, Chick-fil-A? It's, uh, you know, it's a great fast food place in the States. I think there's 1,700, 1,800 um, you know, stores all across the States. And it was founded by a Christian named Truett Cathy. And in fact, one of the unique things they do, different from every other chain, is that they're closed on Sundays. For them and their employees, they give everybody a Sabbath, and they still do well financially. Um, there was a controversy a year or two ago because in a casual conversation in the news the COO Dan Cathy was just was asked about his view on on same-sex marriage and homosexuality and he he wasn't there to like state an opinion he wasn't there to say this is what my company believes he wasn't there to have some like platform for this he was just asked in an interview and he just shared his his view and it wasn't you know culturally taken well he, he said you know I I don't I don't think that that works with my belief system with my understanding of scriptures so this whole controversy came out and people started to protest chick-fil-a and uh, there was protest lines and people were calling for people to to you know kind of boycott them and everything and something really interesting happened um so many people took sides but dan kathy decided to make friends he decided to make friends and he made friends with someone named Shin, uh, shane shane uh, who's a gay activist, who's the director of Campus Pride, who's gay himself and is married to a man. And he decided to make friends. And there was an article written, several articles on this, because people were so surprised that Dan Cathy started to become friends with this person, even though he had a difference of opinion and different convictions. And Winmeyer was quoted saying that Kathy has become my friend, that Dan Cathy has become my friend. We spend time together. And this is what... Um, Shane writes, he says, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my family, my faith, even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ more than a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness that he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick fil A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. And the article goes on to say how they will spend time together and get to know each other, even though they have a difference of opinion. Dan Cathy said, some people will make this person my enemy, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Even though we differ in our convictions, love does that. Love pursues us towards that. Jesus says, pray, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. What do you think happens when you pray for people that persecute you? What do you think happens when you pray for those people maybe you perceive that are persecuting you? But even those who are really truly persecuting, here are some possible outcomes. God can soften their heart towards you, and maybe they'll start persecuting you. God might give you resolve and courage to stand, to be resilient even though you are persecuted. God can change the circumstances that's very possible. Those are possible outcomes. They, that might be the case, but that might not always be the case. But I think a definite outcome when we pray for those who persecute us is that God changes our heart in how we see them. That God starts to show us that even though they are persecuting you, even if they are truly evil and have bad motives towards you, somehow they, to recognize they were made in God's image and to begin praying for them, Verse 45 says this. Right? He says, God causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, every human being on the planet is God's creation, is made in God's image, even though many of us, including us, and some in various degrees, fall far from God's image. But when we pray, there's some possible outcomes, but I think a definite outcome is God can change our heart towards them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, you'll be hard-pressed to find the word eat in this passage, but I love food, and I thought this is the best way to get it in, and it fit, fit really well with the flipping reverse of the book, but that's not really what I'm trying to get at. But I think what well, we can assume here, when Jesus says love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, Jesus was, was labeled as one who was a glutton, meaning he ate a lot and drank because he was with people who ate a lot and drank. And he hung around what was called then tax collectors and sinners. Jesus ate with many different people. The holiest person ever to walk our earth ate with all kinds of different people. And I think there's something to be said about what it means to sit with someone for a meal. To eat with someone, to invite them into your space. Uh, a friend at Westside was telling me a while back how you know um, something they said or their personality had had uh, maybe affected someone or offended someone or they rubbed the wrong way and they didn't truly understand what was going on. So they, they figured, well, let me let me figure let me figure this out. So instead of just leaving it at that. They, this person asked this other person out for coffee, and said, so, well, why don't we get together for coffee, and then we can talk about this, and I'd love to know how I might have offended you, and if it's my personality or my words, and they left realizing that their personalities don't really mesh well, but they also left realizing we're not each other's enemies. When they shared a coffee, when they spent some time together, when they got to know each other, they realized we do have things in common doesn't mean that you're going to be a perfect fit and you're going to be my buddy and we're going to spend time together and let's go golf together. But it does mean that there's opportunity to grow together. Let me share one story before I come to a close in a few minutes. And it just blew me away, this story. A woman by the name of Mary Johnson. Her son was killed several years ago at the age of 20 by another 16-year-old teenager named Israel in the area of Minneapolis. And as you read her story, you recognize that there was nothing more that she wanted than to have justice, than to bring this boy, not just to justice or court, but to make sure that he had a life sentence and maybe even worse than that. She wanted justice and maybe on the verge of even vengeance. But she, had, she wrestled so much because there was something going on her she was a believer. She was a Christian. And there was something going on in her that she just could not let go. And it was an unrest in her heart. It was She felt like a prisoner because, because she had hatred in her heart for this person, obviously, right, who killed her son. It's easy to hate your enemies. She joined a support group with other moms that are in a similar situation, which is a bad situation. Societal understanding in the first place. Imagine that there are support groups for moms whose kids have been killed by other teenagers. That says a lot. She joined this support group and she started to meet with this group regularly. And over time, the group had encouraged the moms to get to a place where they would be able to reach out to the person who killed their child. Because of the unrest and unforgiveness and turmoil that was going on in these mothers' hearts. Mary felt that, that, that she needed to do that, that she needed to reach out to Israel who had killed her son. When she made the request, Israel was in prison. He was shocked. In fact, he was so shocked it took him nine months to agree to meet with her. Nine months. He, just, he says, I can't believe it. I don't think this is a good idea. I don't want to do it. It took him nine months to say yes to the request for Mary to meet him. And they eventually met. And they didn't have many words to say to each other. And they wondered, what, are, what do we do here? And he wondered, what are we doing here? And she said, why don't we just start to get to know each other? Why don't we just start to talk? And step by step, they got to know each other. Israel was released 17 years later from the time of conviction. And Mary did something uh, out of the ordinary. Mary invited him, welcomed him to apply to rent an apartment in her building and connected him with the landlord and said, if you would like to live here, I give you my blessing and I will give you a reference with our landlord. And he, he was... Shocked, Because she she describes this in an interesting way. She said, my belief was leading me towards this. But she said, to be honest, I was selfish. Because I needed to get rid of the unforgiveness in my heart. I needed to get rid of the pain and the turmoil that was in my heart. And I did not know what else to do but to somehow be able to practice peace. And so she did this. She made this step. And today... They share a porch in Minneapolis. They, they live in the same apartment building and they share a porch, Mary and Israel. I mean, that you're looking at that and think, probably thinking, I don't, I don't think I could do that. But I, I think that there's something so incredibly powerful about that when we say, do we believe Jesus and do we believe in his ideas? Do we believe that it's possible, not in our own strength, not in our own ingenuity, not in our own, um, you know, what, what's the word, like kind of goodness or altruism or a sense like I'm going to be good, I'm going to show the world that I can be forgiving. I don't think that's possible in our own strength, in our own heart. I think there's something that we need, which is Jesus, that lead us towards that. That's his grace and the power of his spirit. But it also means stepping out and saying there's peace in the practice. There's peace in the practice. Love love pray, eat. And Jesus says that when we we do this, when we choose this path, we start to really reflect his kingdom in a way that many people might be surprised at, just like Israel was surprised. And he said, are you sure you want to meet with me? Took him nine months to say yes. But Jesus says this in verse 44. He says, and this is another version. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In other words, when you live this way, when you live the way of peace, when you love not only your neighbors, but grow to love your enemies, love, pray, eat, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. It begins to reflect his kingdom. It begins to reflect Jesus, who the scripture says is the exact representation of the Father. That's huge. That's huge. The Apostle Paul, in one of his letters, said this about God, God's kingdom. He, he said this, he said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. There's something about living this way that changes the game. i can ask you to stand as we close today and, and just to, to, to call us to this moment of reflection I believe this, this last series has probably been difficult for some of us, including myself, to, to not just say, I'm searching for peace, not just say, I want peace. You know, when we come to Christmas Eve celebration, we're definitely going to invite all of us to find our hope and peace in Jesus. There is, there is that, there's power in that. But the last few weeks have been about us uh, seeking peace, not just for ourselves, but seeking peace for those around us, for the world around us, to do our part to be people who pursue peace, who are peacemakers. And Jesus leads us towards this. Jesus invites us to this. Jesus calls us to the things that make for peace, and he calls us to love, pray, and eat in, in, in a way that, that reflects his kingdom. So as, as we come to a close today, my desire, and, and, and you know, it's interesting, we can get on a topic like this, and it, it can feel like, um, you know, you, you can start to think of like a hundred different hypothetical situations. Well, what about this? Is it possible here? What about this? Is it possible here? I don't think it's possible with this person. It can't be possible with this situation. And, and instead of doing that, instead of trying to, trying to figure out how this works in every single situation that you're hypothetically going to figure out or try and come up with, why don't we just take the posture and say, God... We want to be a people of peace. We want to be a people who seek peace. So, not just to be a church or a people who search for peace in our lives, but to become a people more and more that pursue peace in our relationships, in our city, in our world, even in conflict. Let's be a people who seek peace, who live out the way of peace, who resist the opposition in our world in such a way that demonstrates that God's kingdom is unique and beautiful and amazing and inviting and welcoming, and life-changing. Let's pray as we close. Father, not for a minute, could I pretend that um, this teaching of Jesus specifically is an easy one. And uh, for myself included, it's one of these teachings that makes me wonder not if I believe in you, but if I truly believe in your ideas, in the life you call me to. and God, I pray that, that you will help us. You promised to send your spirit as we come into life in Christ to lead us and guide us into truth, to lead us and guide us into godliness, to lead us and guide us into true life. So we, today, God, just we put a stake in the ground saying, we need you. We need your grace and the power of your spirit to lead us to become people of peace. And help us, Lord, whether it's in a simpler situation or a very difficult situation. Help us to lean on you for discernment, for wisdom, in how we apply this every day in our lives. How we apply this in our neighborhood in our families, in our workplaces, in our conflicts, in our disagreements, in, with those that have different convictions than we do. And even in those, not just our perceived enemies, even our real enemies, Lord, help us, give us your grace and your spirit to be people that demonstrate a new way of living. God, we long for that because there's peace in the practice. There's discovery in the doing. And we await these difficult moments when we will look and we will recognize in that moment, wow, you have been with us. You have led us through. You have shown us another way. God, I pray for some that maybe find themselves in situations that are extremely difficult to discern this with. And Lord, we thank you that 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 you are with them. Um, You're leading them, guiding them. God, we pray as we move into this season uh, proclaiming the Prince of Peace, that we will discover peace in in all facets of our life, inside and out, that we could point people towards Jesus. God, as we wrap up this last gathering in 2015, we say thank you for your amazing generosity with us, amazing grace with us, We look forward to this Wednesday as we invite many of our friends and families to come and celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the power of his incarnation. Lord, will you empower us to be your witnesses this this Wednesday night? Will you empower us and anoint us to be people that that will be used by you to sow seeds of your incredible gospel in our friends and family and neighbors and city? Um, Be with all the the planning and prep, and the teams involved. Um, And we just look forward to an amazing night together in celebration. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.